Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. By Riverside. Welcome back to episode 80 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati, as well as our producer, Phoebe. How's everybody doing on this fine Memorial Day weekend? Good, good. Excited for the pod. Uh, not really what you draw up for the weather on Memorial Day weekend down here in uh, North Carolina. Um, and I know people are curious, and, and they're wondering. I am home, finally, uh, after my quasi-vacation. I I thought I was going to come home to beautiful Carolina skies. It's dark. It's moist. Yeah. And it, and it's got you in some type of mood. So we're going to we're going to leave it at that. Phoebe, how are you? I heard you got you got off of work early today. That's good. Yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, I got off of work early today cuz it's been raining here all day. Yeah. It's cold. Nasty is not a, not a good weekend of weather, but pretty good weekend of baseball, Dan. So anything from this weekend that, that you were able to see or, or were you too busy schmoozing the family, schmoozing the in-laws and, and keeping busy that way? I, a little bit of both. It was more so, uh, you know, the travel travel day today. So that was uh, I was didn't get to watch a lot of um, baseball, but obviously conference tournament time in college baseball. But. I, I did see a lot of Zach Wheeler yesterday who was super impressive and um, his first start after we talked about the future bets we placed on him, the guy comes through for us. He's trying to win yeah, you Cy Young for you. He's trying to punch out 183 plus for me. So I appreciate Zach Wheeler doing that. An Atlanta Georgia native who always seems to pitch well down there. And uh, he looked the part for the first time. Uh, really this year, Tyler Glasnow came back yesterday, which is really good for Rays fans and baseball fans in general. We need to keep that guy healthy. So we're starting to, you know, we're starting to get into that point of the year where things are starting to settle in a little bit. Um, 
some of these teams that have been disappointing need to start playing a little bit better. And it seems like some of them are over the weekend. So it's good to see. Yeah. This weekend, actually speaking of pitching and, and really good performances from certain guys, I was really impressed with a lot of guys, obviously getting Tyler glass now back is huge for the league in general, Zach Wheeler. That was the best he's looked all year. Um, I don't think there's any questions about that. It was pretty much just, obviously he was probably setting it up, but the, the strikeouts itself were majority of heaters um, at the top of the zone. And obviously it had a little bit of that turbo life that gets that swing and miss up in the zone. And it was really impressive to see. That's kind of the Zach Wheeler that we've come to know over the last couple years in dominating fashion. And I know he's a huge fan of the pod. I know he listened in, so he's fired up. You know, he, was, he knew he sleepwalking through a Cy Young candidacy. So he wanted to make us some money. And then Corbin Burns was the other one that stood out. I've been obviously tracking Corbin Burns outings. He's a guy that we talked about a lot in the, in the past, um, you know, a lot last year because he's one of the most fun and entertaining pitchers to watch, but he had struggled, struggled a little bit with the command. The cutter was flattening out. Everything else wasn't playing off of it. First inning, he comes out, gives up a run. I uh, gave up four home runs in his last outing against the Astros, gives up a run in the first with, a, with I think, one or two walks and then turns around and you go look at the highlights from, from last night and his outing. His cutter was back. It was getting in on lefties, like absolutely sharp. He was up to 97 with it. Super impressive. He was throwing his change up a little bit more in swing and miss counts, and it was really doing a good job of tunneling off of that that sinker that he throws and obviously the cutter, and it looked like whatever he had going on last night was really impressive. Yeah, well, it's funny because both Wheeler and Burns are guys that um, really required a, a kind of a deep dive to figure out what was going on. Because if you look at surface level stats, their performances tell you one thing. And if you kind of watch their starts, it was or, or just track the numbers. Really, if you're a box score watching on all their starts this year, it looked like neither guy was really pitching like the Cy Young candidates that they are on a year to year basis. But both guys' peripherals are have been really good all year. I mean. Even Corbin Burns, you know, whiff rate, chase rate, average exit velocity against, expected batting average against, just like Wheeler, all tops in the league. And it's like, so what's the, you know, what's actually going on? And and it was something where you really kind of had to dive in and look at both guys' starts. And I think both of them, for whatever reason, it just seemed like both of them uh, yesterday had more finish on their stuff. Like Wheeler, yeah. especially the fastball all year, you know, he is a fastball heavy. He's a power pitcher. You know, that's who he is. He gets a lead extension. He throws the ball 96 to 98 miles an hour. He can throw it up in the zone. He gets a tremendous ride because um, that extension, he's releasing it from a lower slot. So that's what, you know, creates that hop that we talk about a lot of times, you know, perceived rise to hitters. And all year, it kind of looked like he, he didn't have that pitch, right? He, it was still good. But it wasn't, you know, he was relying more on the sinker because that four-seamer just wasn't playing the same way as it uh, normally does. And then yesterday it was there. It had the finish, you know, and it, and it was up in the zone and it was throwing it by guys. And <clears throat> even when he was missing yesterday, uh, he was still generating the swings and misses, which is what you're you're typically used to seeing from a Zach Wheeler outing. Is like, yeah, even if he misses with his fastball once every, you know, six or seven, he still can get a swing and miss on it. And Corbin Burns is the same thing with the cutter. And his cutter just didn't seem to have that crisp, crisp finish. He, you know, that's a pitch he really does rely on commanding because his bread and butter is obviously backdooring it to lefties and front hipping it to righties. 
And he wasn't able to do that. Just didn't seem to have that finish. And, and, you know, Burns was one of the first guys that me and you really talked about, I think like two years ago in 2021, talk about having like a rising cutter almost, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's a cut fastball that holds its plane, almost like a four seamer. And it just wasn't there all year. And that's why I keep using the term finish because it's like getting that extension, finishing through the baseball and getting that life through the zone, not just to the zone. And uh, yesterday it looked like he was back, which is really exciting to see. I mean, this is what we want. You want Corbin Burns to be pitching this way. You want Zach Wheeler to be pitching this way and, and um, you know, Garrett Cole and guys like that. Yeah, and I, I, I'm curious to what you think about um, kind of what might go into that finish um, for both those guys on those pitches. Like, obviously, you mentioned the fact that Zach Wheeler is a Georgia native just Southern guy. Like I always wonder how cold weather affects these guys. I think Wheeler's in my perspective is a little bit of the extended innings that he pitched in the postseason, translating it to getting his legs under him in the early go. And then now his ability to generate that same extension allows his release height to play lower, which allows that fastball to play up in the zone. But Corbin Burns is a guy who obviously had a lot of attention brought on to him this offseason because of how the Brewers arbitration case unfolded with him and it he, he didn't come out and he really just wasn't as good as he he had normally been in the past but I wonder how much of that has to do with cold weather you know things like that like grip specifically with a cold weather guy all the things like that that could be coming into play whereas if he's not getting Corbin Burns was definitely a sticky stuff guy. I don't think there's anybody who's going to sit there and deny that. But if he's if it's cold out and his hands dry up and he's not getting the normal tack that he normally gets with the sweat generated, you know, whether it be indoors in Milwaukee or anything like that, that cutter starts to flatten out a little. And I had checked because I wanted to see if he was a notorious slow starter. Like Luis Castillo is a notorious slow starter. Carlos Carrasco is a notorious slow starter, has been his whole career. But when those guys get on stretches, they become really, really dominant and really good. I wondered if Corbin Burns was, but last year he had a clunker in game one in Chicago, same way he did this year, and then rolled through the month of April and was dominant through the first part of the season. But you see guys get hot in the summer months. So I'd love to know like kind of what your perspective is on what those changes could be if it's just getting you know accustomed to what their repertoire is again. I, you know, I think that you, you kind of hit it early on there with Wheeler. I think a lot of what Wheeler's issues were specifically was just the workload. I mean, not only did Zach Wheeler have to pitch in November and we saw in the World Series that he was dealing with dead arm and that was kind of his issues in game two. And then he came back in in game six and obviously put the Phillies in a position to extend the World Series uh, and just pitched fantastically. But, you know, he threw, you know, 200 and ended up throwing like 200 and 15 innings or whatever. And he had gone on the shelf before in September and then came back and threw all those innings on short rest in the playoffs. And then I think what people also kind of seem to forget sometimes because we just, we go year by year. Right. And and with pitching, there's, there's certainly a cumulative effect, I think. And he led major league baseball on in innings pitched in 21, trying to pitch the Phillies into the postseason. So not only was it an extended year last year, but it's coming off throwing 220 plus the year before trying to pitch a team into the playoffs, a couple of starts in September on short rest. That adds up. And then, I, you know, this is a little bit of a cop-out answer because everyone's having to deal with it. But I think these are two guys who have been really affected by the pitch clock. You know, hmm. both guys specifically in spring training kind of voiced their opinion on the pitch clock, and it was a negative one. They didn't like it because um, they're both guys who are very deliberate. They're both guys who take their time. I mean, Zach Wheeler's kind of a, you know, not 
Pedro Baez slow. No one in the world exists as slow as Pedro Baez out there. But, you know, Wheeler and Burns both took their time. And they really, you know, especially when they got runners on, they hunkered down. And, and if you look at Corbin Burns specifically, every single pitch he throws is a tick down on average this year. Yeah. You know, Cutter went from, you know, averaging 95 point, uh, 95 on the dot uh, in 22 to, to 94 one which is a full mile an hour curveball is down uh, under 80 miles an hour from, from 81.6, you know, change up 89.3 from 90. So you look at that and I don't necessarily think that's an injury or fatigue thing. Um, I think it could be two things. I think one, I think they consistently mess with the baseball at the major league level. I think we sure. all know that. I think we're going from, you know, pool balls, you know, like a cue ball to super balls, to dead balls, to sticky, to slick. And every year they're messing with it. I think that has a little bit to do with it. But I also think the pitch clock for both these guys. I mean, I I think, again, when we hear pitch clock and and you always want to look at velo and stuff when people get tired, but it also affects command, right? And that's, you know, kind of been both of their issues is is we talk about the finish on the pitches and specifically with Burns, the command of the cutter. Well, if you're kind of feeling rushed, you're not going to have, you know, your mechanics in sync and you're not going to, you know, finish with everything and you're not going to be in the zone or not even necessarily in the zone, but you're not going to command the baseball the way you're typically used to. So for me, I think it's just kind of that grouping of things. And I think you're seeing it with a lot of guys across the league. And I think kind of to build off that too is, and this is just my belief of like watching the game and things like that. But when guys are fatigued, a lot of times they're going to miss glove side, right? Because they overcompensate, arm rushes through, and they can miss out over. So when you're talking about a cutter guy who lives off of backdooring it, front hipping it, and even on the other side of the plate, getting in that dead zone of a lefty and off the plate to a righty, if he's missing consistently glove side, that goes from a competitive pitch on the corner to middle cut or a competitive pitch on the corner to way out for a ball. And then it just kind of combines to be just bad pitches, uncompetitive pitches that are easy takes for guys. And that was what Zach Wheeler was been, was against the Red Sox a couple weeks back. It was like the stuff was crisp. The stuff was clean. It was just the occasional miss glove side, miss out over barrel miss for, to get in a hitter's count have to come with a competitive heater over the heart of the plate and make sure that it's a little bit more competitive to get yourself back into the strike zone and when you look at it because when you look at it especially with burns it's not a you know the pitch shapes are all the same i mean he's he has the same movement profile in every single one of his pitches again they're a tick down and i would say they're a tick down on average because of you know, just maybe getting tired quicker into these games because of the clock and you don't have the time to take a deep breath. And I don't want to make an excuse for these guys. And, and, you know, like too bad everyone's dealing with it. You know, it's not like we only put a pitch clock on these guys. Like everybody in the league has a clock. You got to figure it out, like, and go. And, you know, we talked way back after like the first week of the season or so where it looked like it had helped Garrett Cole because he's just yeah. not getting it and going where you can get into rhythm. And if you're pounding the zone, that's fine. But I guess my point being is, you know, looking at the pitch shape for Burns and looking at the velos, it's like, okay, well, to me, it is a command issue. You know, everything's down a tick. He's getting a little bit tired and, and command goes with that. And that's why he's getting hit a little bit. And But both these guys, like it's not, again, you watch them and, and they're not off by much. And that's how hard it is yeah. to be dominant in Major League Baseball. I mean, we're talking yeah. about two guys who weren't pitching to their capabilities and they're both pitching in the, in the mid threes. 
I mean, they're still top of the line guys, right? Like that's ridiculous. An average ERA this year, Major League Baseball for a starting pitcher is a four two. So these guys are pitching in the three sixes. Like they're yeah. still very good, and they're you know they're they're two of the better guys in baseball. But you know, it's nice to see them regain that you know what we're used to sub three ERA, punching tickets, not walking guys because both guys aren't aren't guys who walk people either. Um, and and both of them kind of work tick up a little bit with their walk rate. But really, for me, it's it's kind of running into those snowball innings and not being able to command the baseball. Because, you know, and and when I say pitch clock, it's not like every batter in every inning of the game, you know, just from go. It's like, oh, the pitch clock's rushing. No, it's in the past when they would get first and second because, you know, you give up a bleeder and then one guy, okay, squares one up and hits a single through the hole and it's first and second and the three hitters walking up and you need to make that pitch. They would take their time and they would execute that pitch. Now you don't have that time, right? Now you got to get it and you got to go because of the clock and, that's how, you know, like you said with Burns, you you yank that cutter a little bit more when you're trying to paint it back door to, you know, to Jordan Alvarez and he takes you, you know, he takes you deep, he clips you or Kyle Tucker. Yeah. Um and and you know, so that to me is where the pitch clock kind of hurts those guys is is you get into those situations instead of being able to slow the game down and and you know, take a second, take a breath to execute your pitch, you kind of let it snowball a bit. Yeah, and and well, the pitch clock's obviously been a huge change, and it's something that every pitcher has had to deal with. But I don't think it's necessarily been a negative for everybody. And no. one of those guys is Nathan Eovaldi. Um, He obviously signed that contract with the Texas Rangers this offseason, which um, I personally, looking back at it, I don't think we gave it enough credit for what it was. Um, I think both of us probably agreed upon the fact that Andrew Heaney was supposed to be the two uh, to Jacob DeGrom, but, and I'm guilty of this as much as the next person, but Nathan Uvaldi can be a forgotten man at times. I think it's because he is incons- inconsistent in certain ways, but so far this year in year one of his two year, $34 million contract with the Texas Rangers, he's pitching to a point. 2.6 ERA with 66 strikeouts in 69 and two thirds innings. He's carrying a 1.10 ERA in May. Listen to these last four starts, Dan. Eight innings pitch, zero earned runs, five Ks, two walks, eight and two thirds, zero earned runs, 12 Ks, one walk, seven innings pitch, three earned runs, five Ks, two walks, and nine innings pitch, one earned run, five Ks, and one walk. Obviously, the strikeouts aren't what you would expect from a guy as dominant as him, but that's going out there. That's posting for seven plus the old school way. You're not relying on any bullpen arms, and you're just going out there and giving your your um, bullpen a day off and giving your manager an easy decision to make because he can just keep rolling you out there for more and more innings. Yeah, I mean, it, he's been really, really good, and and. Look, Nathan Avaldi was one of my favorite guys, especially when he went on that run everybody knows about in, in 18 when he kind of really established himself. He had bounced around. He's pitched for a lot of teams in Major League Baseball. I think people forget that. He's been on like six teams. But in 18 when he when he you know helped win that World Series in Atlanta uh, – or sorry, in Boston, um, you know, he, he really kind of burst on the scene and, and, and proved that he can be a front rotation guy. I think injuries really were kind of the issue last year. And he made some tweaks to his pitch usage this year, which is always exciting to see when guys continue to evolve even later in their career. And look, the stuff's there. It's been there. So for him, it's always been about being able to stay healthy, command it. And now he, he's really, he scrapped the slider. 
um, which, you know, he, he threw the slider about 12% of the time last year. He's now throwing it 3% of the time. He's hardly throwing it. He's thrown 33 sliders this year. For me, the thing that jumps out is, you know, everybody's always known about the four-seam split. And he was really a four-seam split curveball guy. Now he's a four-seam split cutter guy. And I think what the cutter does is it, it's able to get guys off the, the splitter. Um, you know, not necessarily the fastball. He's still going to throw the fastball a more majority of his time, but he throws it almost as much as he throws the splitter. So I think people were really starting to key in on the split finger. And now with the cutter, if you're kind of looking out away or you're looking at something that's, you know, the four seamer, which is, you know, pretty much a one plane break, it's going to ride, it's going to hold its plane with him. And then the splitter, which is going to fade down. Now he's throwing the cutter, which is going to get in on lefties. It's going to run away from, from righties. And then, you know, and it's, it's hard. He's throwing it firm still, you know, he throws it about 92. His fastball average is about 96. So it's a, it's a much better pitch than the slider was, which, you know, he had a slower slider, a little bit more of a sweeper. He throws it about 85 miles an hour. So for me, it was just adding that cutter and being not necessarily adding it. He had it last year, but he only threw it 10% of the time. Now he's throwing it 20, right? So now, you know, like that's a significant jump, right? That's a 200% yeah. increase. So I, for me that, you know, that's been one of the biggest changes for him. And it's good to see, cause what is Nathan Avaldi doing this? He's pounding the zone. The other thing was he would ran, ran into walk problems. I mean, yeah. last year he was one of the worst in the leagues when it came to walks and that, and then, you know, and then you get clipped. We talk about it all the time. You walk two guys and get clipped. That changes games. That ruins your outings. Um, yeah. And he's attacking guys in the zone. He's not afraid of contact. His whiff, rate is good not great the strikeout percentage is good not great but what is he doing he's throwing three pitches consistently in the zone and not letting guys breathe and when you have stuff that plays like his that's a that's a really good path to success yeah he's sitting currently under a one whip uh he's at 0.97 whip on the year so obviously he's limiting those walks as best as possible and he's 92nd percentile in walk percentage with a 4.2 percent walk percentage so obviously relentless in the zone you mentioned the cutter obviously the split fingers up usage wise from 12.7 percent in 2021 to 27.4 so that's a pretty significant 15 percent increase which that pitch generates a 35 percent whiff on it but what i find really even more interesting is the fact that neither his fastball nor his cutter has elite quote unquote with a 21% whiff rate on a heater is pretty solid. But when you really look at it with the th- 343 expect, expected slug on that four seamer, and then the cutter has a 35% hard hit rate, the ability for him to use those pitches as soft contact in the strike zone, forcing guys to swing, keeping his pitch count down. Cause obviously you can see when you go eight, eight and two thirds, seven and nine over your last four starts, you're limiting pitches. You're in the zone, you're attacking hitters, all the things like that. But being able to get soft contact with that fastball and with that cutter specifically has allowed him to have a lot of success and keep that pitch count down, which forces him to not get into deep counts, all the things that's with that. But what I'll ask you is if there's anywhere that he can kind of continue to take a step forward, I think it's that curveball usage. I'd like, maybe it's a product of the usage of his pitches, but he has a 30% whiff on it. It does not get hit hard. It has a 297 expected slug. It's been a really good pitch for him that he's used in moderation. 
but being able to almost take that next step once guys start to see the splitter more, once guys start to see the cutter more, once guys start to pick up on it, adding that curveball a little bit more, it makes him such a more well-rounded pitcher to have four pitches that he can go to the well to at any time. Yeah, the only the, I, I worry a little bit about using the curveball more. I think he has the numbers he has on the curveball right now because he does, you know, he picks and chooses his spots with it. You know, he doesn't spin it really well, which is interesting because he, he gets good spin on the fastball. He gets good spin on the um, the split, but he's, you know, he's fourth percentile in the league with curveball spin, which tells me that, you know, it's not it doesn't have that nasty bite, which means if you start to throw it a lot, guys are going to be able to see it, you know. Flipping it up there every once in a while to get him off the other three, to me, it, it, it makes sense. And that's where he is. So, you know, I, to your point, like he just needs to develop it more. I don't know if that's something he can do in season or if that has to be an off season kind of, you know, almost like a pitch design thing where he, he's got to really focus in on that, in, you know, in the off season when he has more time to do so. Because to me right now, like the split finger fastball, the numbers on the splitter are, I mean, they're, they're absolutely insane, right? He's only given up you know, he's given up 12 hits on the splitter. He's thrown it 267 times, only three extra base hits. You know, guys are hitting 178 on it. So it's not getting hit. It's not getting hit hard with a 260 slug. I, like that pitch is so elite as a secondary offering right now. And he's throwing it for strikes, which is even more impressive. Like you watch the heat map and what do we talk about with Gaussman all the time is like, if he can start to throw that splitter even more in the zone. Well, you look at Evaldi split meet heat map and he is he's dotting that thing down in a way to left he's down and into righties where he's catching you know the strike zone so like I, yes it would really boost him if he had a better curveball it would help him a lot more and, and to have a fourth offering that's you know above league average but I don't think it's that right now I don't think it profiles as an above league average pitch and and that's probably why you see him using it kind of sparingly as his fourth offering yeah, I just think mostly it's it's not getting hit hard. Um, it's not getting hit in the air. It's his second largest swing and miss pitch. And it's not like he's using it never. I mean, 13% of the time isn't that far off of his cutter, um, which is at 19 right now. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. He hasn't given up a home run on it. You know, whether it's just a get me over pitch or not, um, the results at least say it's it's been effective. Um, and obviously, if you can combine that, the slider has just been the only pitch for him that's just been non-existent. It shouldn't be used. It's getting crushed. It got crushed last year. Um, so it's really interesting to see because even his, his curveball was pretty effective when you look at it last year with a 34% whiff rate um, and 253 expected slug. So even in his down year last year, four-seam fastball just got clobbered. The split and curveball were really good, but that's why the cutter gives him such a different element where the cutter isn't exactly not getting hit hard. It's 471 expected slug but it just gets you off of all of his other pitches in a different way. Like I don't think his cutter is comparable to Corbin Burns' cutter that's going to be 97 with a ton of bite and a ton of swing and miss and almost rise on guys. But when you see something and if it looks like the fastball for a very long time and it just takes off left there, that's just good enough to get the job done. And that's the most important thing. And, you know, I really think that for this Rangers team, obviously we're super excited about what they've been able to do as they kind of wait for Jacob DeGrom to get right and healthy. We've seen Ivaldi be great 
when it matters most. He's had hot stretches like the one he's on right now, like the one in 2018 that went all the way to the World Series. If you get him and Jacob deGrom and Andrew Heaney's been pitching a lot better recently and get them all healthy, going in the right direction during the playoffs, this is not going to be a team that anybody wants to see. And then the forgotten guy they have, and the guy that I really like, and you know his peripherals are never great, but he consistently puts up good numbers. In as far as you know, um, run prevention is Martin Perez. Like John mm-hmm. Gray and Martin Perez are your four and five on that staff. Yeah, John Gray is really like good too. Like that's that's a really good staff. Again, it all really depends on the health of Jacob Degrom because when you start talking about a playoff series, like you have to have two horses, right? You saw you know last year with. The Astros really kind of had three, but Framber and Verlander and the Phillies had uh, Wheeler and Nola. And, and, you know, you just think about some of these teams, you know, the Braves had uh, a bevy of guys that changes every year. But, you know, Max Fried and Charlie Morton in the year they won the World Series and and to be able to ride those guys. So for me, it it all really hinges on DeGrom's health. You know, if you get Evaldi pitching like this and, and Heaney can come back a little bit to what he was like last year with the Dodgers and. And then DeGrom's healthy. I mean, that's a really good top three. And then again, like Martin Perez, steady as they come, throw strikes, isn't going to put guys on. So like that is so valuable sometimes in the middle of the summer when you're in a playoff race is to just have a guy who goes out there and he's just going to command the baseball and keep you in games and keep an offense like like he's in a perfect place. He's pitching yeah. for a team that has an offense that's going to score him runs. Like, great. Go hang a crooked number. He's going to go out there. He's not going to give up any free passes. The other team's going to be, you know, squeezing the bat a little tighter because they're not going to get any free ones. They start swinging at, you know, not good pitches that are in the zone. And, and you know, next thing you know, he's just gone seven shutout, and it's another series win, right? So yeah. that's kind of the path for them. And, look, this, I think this team has the staying power. I, like, I really like the way this roster is. I like what, you know, now that we've seen it again, we, you know, we mentioned this the other night, but like when we talked before the season about this team, we were like, Hey, they have pieces. What is it going to look like? Yep. What is it going to look like? Well, now that you've seen it, this is a really good roster and a really good team. Yeah. Very good team. And and I think they're going to be in it till the end and there's no doubt about that. And and so um, Dan, I know you got the Phillies game on in the first inning. Well, <laughs> Dylan Covey's throwing some some well, meatballs, huh? Can I complain? Ronald, can I complain? Really? Sure, but I want to read off for our listeners to put in a perspective. Our listeners don't of, need to hear this. Of, it's of five what nothing, I pulled up on guy. Baseball Savant. No, it's not even about that. Uh, Ronald Acuna, 110.3 mile per hour single. Matt Olson, 111.7 home run. <laughs> Austin Riley, 107 or 100.7 home run. Sean Murphy, 113 <laughs> single. That's to start out the day. Gave up three balls over 110. Sure, complain. This is the Phillies' third Sunday night baseball game. And sometimes it's fun to watch your team on a national telecast. You get different announcers. You get them primetime Sunday night. Great window to watch a baseball game when you wind down your weekend. The first weekend of the season in Texas, Bailey Falter started. They went to Houston on Sunday night baseball. Bailey Falter started. Here we are in Atlanta on Memorial Day weekend on Sunday Night Baseball, and Dylan Covey's their starter. Do we have another option to put on national television? Can we, why couldn't we watch Zach Wheeler versus Spencer Strider tonight? I mean, anyone who looked at I said to you before we started recording, they should flex this. They should have flexed this Sunday night game. Spencer Strider versus Dylan yeah. Covey. Now you're chasing, well, you're chasing five with the, the lead, you know, 
one of the leading candidates for Cy Young on the mound. Who wants to watch this? Turn it off. Go to bed. Get some rest for your big cookout yeah, they're, tomorrow. They're going to get in-game interviews going quickly here. They're, the the broadcast booth yeah. is panicking behind the scenes right now, trying to get a microphone down there on uh, Ronald Acuna or Matt Olson or somebody to pick up some, some got, hot mics for some content. I got two outs. And listen, Dylan Covey, I'm sure he's a good guy, comes from a great family, made it to the majors. That's awesome. But – I mean, it's tough to run him out there every five five days. And that's well, kind of been the problem those... with the Phillies this year. Is, is yeah. th- You're looking at this right here. Like They start to get some momentum. They win two in a row in Atlanta, which is huge. Have a chance to win a series tonight. And you got to roll Dylan Covey out there. Like, you know what I, like that's And when, when people want to know where my mind's at when I talk about some of these teams and when I'm evaluating what these teams can do and how serious I take them, that's why I've talked about the Pirates not being good. How do you sustain what you're doing if you can't, you know, if you can't depend on a starter going out there and at least keeping you in a ball game? Yeah, they only have one guy who can do that in Pittsburgh. But following right. the four balls that were clobbered at 100-plus, Marcelo Zuna goes 78-mile-per-hour force out. Then Eddie Rosario goes 97.9 double. Ozzy Alves, 98.7 single. Orlando Arcia, 96.5 fielder's choice. That was in one inning we had seven balls hit at 95 plus in the top in the bottom of the first wait they gave rc a fielder's choice that's what it says on here i'm tracking on baseball savant uh, i'm pretty sure rc was the one who hit the ball through trey turner's legs did somebody get thrown out no yeah it's an air it's they, an error. official score gave it an air i mean it went right through his legs yeah, well, they they got to update a little bit quicker there. So obviously, that's a little bit of fun in the a or in the NL East, and we'll head over to the AL East. But first, Dan, I want to talk about SeatGeek. We had somebody I saw it on Twitter today. Uh, they were posting somehow the algorithms. They just know we talk about SeatGeek a lot, so SeatGeek gets funneled onto my Twitter feed. Some guy was talking about taking his kids to go see Trout and Otani before they left town. And I, I commented in the section, said, use our promo code to get $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek with promo code Backside Ground Ball. So, um, you know, sometimes you're just out there, you're helping kids get out to the ball game. Sometimes you want to go see T-Swizzle. We saw Aaron Rodgers belting it at the top of his lungs. You got people outside singing their heads off. It just seems like an electric environment to be at a Taylor Swift concert. But it'd be nice to save $20 off those $3,000 tickets each that you're buying. You know, that $20 really makes a huge difference. So head over to SeatGeek. Make sure you use the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL uh, and you can get $20 off off those tickets. So we wanted to kind of dive in on the AL East just on the whole. Obviously, they are no questions, no questions asked. The best division in baseball. They were in the past before Baltimore got it figured out, uh, before Toronto turned it around of recent memory. But now you have five legitimate, can I say, pennant contending teams. I think there are two teams in this division who I wouldn't exactly imagine are going to win a World Series or win an American League pennant, but there's definitely three teams that as we sit right now can very easily win a World Series and you wouldn't surprise me. And all the teams are sitting at 500. I'm going to read off the standings right now 
off the top with their run differentials. We have Tampa Bay in first place at 39 and 16 with a plus 120 run differential. We have the Baltimore Orioles at 34 and 19 with a plus 34 run differential. We have the New York Yankees at 32 and 23 with a plus 27 run differential. We have the Boston Red Sox at 28 and 24 with a plus 13 run differential and Toronto is pulling up the end of the division with a just a meager 28 and 26 record with a plus 20 run differential. So Dan, obviously we'll, we'll kind of talk about each team individually, but when you look at the division and, and kind of how dominant they've been across baseball, you know, what kind of stands out to you? Well, I think when you look at the run differentials, right, if you just pull up the standings and look at run differential, I mean, they're the only team in, in baseball with, you know, every team having a, a positive run differential and, they're one of two teams that even has three or more. You know, the AOS West has four teams, which their run differential gets knocked down by the A's negative uh, 199. Negative uh, 199. They're 10 and 45. Brutal. They are 35 games under 500 at Memorial Day. Anyway. They're on um, so they're, they're, 31. Yeah, they're, they're one of only, you know, two divisions with, with – three teams even, and they have all five. And and like you said, Toronto, who's bringing up the rear at 28 and 26, and that's a team that's on a, you know, a, a three and seven, 10 game stretch right now. So they haven't really been playing consistent ball and they're still two games over 500. Now, you know, the thing that kind of stinks for a lot of those teams is that, you know, chasing down the raises can be hard. You have a Yankees team that's nine games over 500 and third place, seven games out already. The Red Sox were three games over 500, 10 out. Um, so, you know, the Rays are kind of setting the pace there, but this is a really competitive division and this is really fun. This is where kind of the schedule change. Yeah. Isn't it becomes an interesting discussion because, you know, obviously you play your division less and you play the balanced schedule where you play everyone uh, across the league this year, where in the past that wasn't the case. And I kind of wonder if this is a good thing or a bad thing, because obviously it's helped these teams. I think a little bit, they're not going to beat up on each other as much, but are we losing out because we're not going to see more of these series of, of, you know, 19 times against each of these teams and, and really kind of sort out who the best team is? Would the Rays be as good as they are if they were having to play the Yankees, Orioles, Red Sox, and, and Jays more? I don't know. Um, I was a fan of the balanced schedule just from a, a viewership perspective of, you know, getting to see everyone play each other. Uh, I think that was fun, but I kind of also see the merit in like, well, you know, the Yankees and, and Jays, I think I saw, don't play again until like the middle of September after they had that really intense series last week where they kind of flipped where they were in the standings and, and kind of started the Jays on this this kind of slide that they're on. So I don't know, but I, I do know that this division has certainly kind of been, you know, hands down the best division in baseball to this point. Yeah, I think this is where the MLB is going to have to make a decision here soon because when you look at what this division is, if you're not going to play your division mates more, we might need to go to an AL and an NL, just one straight one through 15, kind of like all the other professional sports are. Because you look at the Toronto Blue Jays right now are in, their fans are in panic mode. Everybody thinks they're out on the Toronto Blue Jays. But in reality, they're just two games over 500. And that's not that like, they're a really good team. And if anything, this just shows the flaws of all the other teams across the MLB in comparison to these teams. So we're actually creating less 
parity, quote unquote, in the sport by still requiring teams to play the amount of games that they do, but not playing each other because the ALEs beat up on each other for so long. I mean, even looking at it right now, the two, the three hardest schedules in baseball right now are the Toronto Blue Jays, the Boston Red Sox, and New York Yankees. That's one, two, three in strength of schedule as it stands in the MLB right now. And they're all comfortably over 500 with talent to finish the season comfortably over 500. And now you're starting to talk about like, are we really going to keep a 87 win last place ALA's team out of a wild card race just because every other team does? And then the Minnesota Twins, where as we stand right now, would be in last place in the AL East but are in first place in the AL Central that we have to really sit back and evaluate what we're trying to accomplish with division standings if they're not going to play each other more. That's an interesting point. I think I never thought about it this way. So when they made the schedule change, I never thought about, you know, kind of the playoff format and how we look at it that way. Just the sense that, you know, because winning your division has always been so important in baseball, especially avoiding the wild card now with the way things are set up, right? You, you know, especially if you're one of the top two teams, you, you know, you skip a or the top team. Like, no, top two teams get a buy into, yeah. into the DS. That's massive instead of having to play in that shortened series. But you, you make a good point because right now, if you were to look at it, that, you know, no one from the AL, if you did it one through six, right, the top six teams in each league go regardless of division, right? You would have three, potentially four ALS, AL East teams, right? You would have the Rays, the Orioles, the Yankees, and then the Red Sox and the Mariners would be tied for that sixth spot. So then you kind of look at no one in the AL Central would even be sniffing the playoffs right now, right? I guess, you know, the Twins would be two games or a game back of of the uh, last spot. So the sixth seed, and then you would have to go to Tampa, so, yeah. you know, to, to get potentially the Twins home field advantage in a playoff series, like that's what's going to end up happening here, right? You're going to yep. see probably the Twins have to go play a wild card winner who at this point, let's say it's the Orioles who are on pace to finish 20 plus games over 500 and the Twins are going to be a 500 team. You know, and that, that kind of makes you feel a certain type of way for sure. So yep. I don't know if it's a good thing to take away the significance of winning a division because I still, you know, you're still playing those teams 13 times a year, 14 times a year, I think the number is. So you still get 14 games against them. That's a lot. You play them obviously more than anyone yeah. else in the league. There is always been a sense of pride in winning your division, right? We, we, we tarp up the clubhouse and spray champagne all over each other when we win a division. So yeah. I, I don't know if, if that would be a good thing or not, to be honest with you. Yeah. I just think it's, it's, I mean, I'm, I didn't even realize this as I read off the top strength of schedules fourth in the league right now, in terms of strength, of schedule is the Pittsburgh pirates. And you want to know who follows it up? The Tampa Bay Rays and then the Baltimore Orioles. So six of, or five of the top six teams in strength, of schedule to start this year, are the AL East teams, all of them, and they're all sitting above 500. Like I know that their strength of schedule has helped probably because A, none of them have played the Oakland Athletics, which definitely would help, and they've all played each other at this point. So like I get that strength of schedule in terms of win percentage is can be a flawed statistic, but for all of them to be above 500 with – knowledge that they've had the hardest schedules across baseball is kind of crazy to think about one thank you for pointing that out because most fans will look at uh 
strength of schedule, especially based on win percentage, and they'll hold on to it like it means everything in the world. And then yeah. you like, and then you go, yeah, but all the teams they've played have had to play that team who's thirty games yep. over five hundred, which yeah. hurts their strength. They can't play themselves. The Rays yes. can't get out there and play the team that's twenty three games over five hundred because it's them. Um, and, and you know, people will always grope and moan and try and you know knock down teams who have really good years. But you're right. I mean that's what's impressive and that's kind of how it's been in the AL East for a while for some reason that you know that division just has teams that you know from top to bottom typically and even when there's some years where teams aren't very good obviously Boston had a bad year last year but then you see them rebound quickly and the next year I mean the last two Boston Red Sox World Series they were in last place the year prior so all these teams are typically pretty competitive and, and you know it's interesting I don't know your thought, um, I really like the idea of maybe ditching the, the division winners getting into the playoffs. Although then you kind of, it's I, weird I, I don't though, because then even, you just, would you just get rid of divisions? I guess is what I'm well, saying. Well, that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, it's like it's, the it's NBA the where only, divisions yes. don't even matter. Like, yes, and that's kind of what I was I can't even tell you who's in what division in the NBA. Yeah, I would think of it more as something along the lines of maybe divisions get you in but it doesn't guarantee a buy. Yeah, but right? you're only so, guaranteed a buy with a with the, one of the top two division winning records. So you would avoid the tw- like this year the Twins would then are never home field have a advantage. That's fair. Home field advantage then. So let's just say like if the Orioles get lined up in the first round with the Minnesota Twins, the Orioles get home field advantage. You don't have to travel to Minnesota to play them just because they were lucky enough to play in October when the it's Tigers, Guardians, Royals, White a couple Sox. more times than the White Sox, more than the Orioles had to play the Yankees, and they still had a better record than you. Like that's just not – that doesn't sit with me right I'm, I'm with And you. I know – yeah, and I know we kind of talked about this in the last episode, but I kind of want to get your thoughts on on how you kind of give me just a lay of the land of how do you think this division's ultimately going to unfold and who are some of the teams that kind of give you optimism for October um, beyond just the regular season? Well, I think it's hard to not like the Rays right now. I mean, just because they continue to prove, you know, you talked about it. They do have the fourth or fifth best strength of schedule in baseball and they are 23 games over 500. I know they kind of got fat early, but guess what? That's my other issue with when people complain about strength of schedule too, is like, do you know what the best teams do? They do get fat against the bottom feeding teams. Yeah. Like that's, that is in reality, especially the landscape of baseball where you have so many teams who don't even try to compete like the Oakland A's. Like, yeah, the Houston Astros should take advantage of getting to play the, the A's 13 times. Don't go out there and split series or give up games. Go sweep them. And that's what the Rays did in the, to start the year, right? They had the Tigers who, you know, before the Tigers have figured it out a little bit and are playing 500 balls, like they just swept them, you know, and, and they got the Pirates who were hot when they went to, to Tampa. And I don't th- – I think I think, you know, lower on the Pirates than most people, but it's like Pittsburgh rolled in there, they swept them. And then you had the Dodgers in town. They take two or three from the Dodgers. They take two or three from the Yankees. They're doing their job. And so I really like them. I think that lineup's insane. They hit their 100th home run today on the season they hit their 100 August 12th of last year and they lead the league in stolen bases and they lead the league in stolen bases which I saw you mention on social media um which we have talked about you know finding the advantages in in tooled up guys and we've talked about that for a long time finding ways to score runs and you know stealing bases and hitting the long ball a really good way to do it and 
you know, I, I think they're really good and, and glass now if he can be healthy now that we saw him throw yesterday and his stuff was electric. And I know he had five Ks through two innings. I know they ended up losing that game, but, you know, he was on pitch limit. It was his first game back. Give him some time. I really – I think they have the staying power. And, look, I, I I love the Orioles and I love this story, but I think the Yankees will pass the Orioles here soon. The Yankees rotation is starting to settle in. Um, Garrett Cole hasn't gotten much run support. He's kind of been stuck in this, like, uh, no decision – limbo here for the last month he's had a weird month of may after having that great yeah, he's starting April. to get clipped again a little bit yeah so. yeah but th- we knew that was going to happen but i think you know he's legit and then sevy being up there and if nestor can kind of figure so things out good. i know and and thing with so good against and just the like glass now stay healthy like yeah. bubble wrap these guys and make yeah. sure they're healthy like you know that's that's your only concern there so i really like those two i think the blue jays are going to turn this thing around too and they'll push to kind of finish higher, but I mean, I, I'm not going to say they're going to finish better than the Orioles, but you know, I, I really, I'm buying into the Orioles again, starting pitching. And, and I think starting pitching depth is going to hurt them. You saw them have to send down Grayson Rodriguez, who has an 11 ERA. Like that's kind of, again, really disappointing. Cause I thought this was really going to be a year where he would solidify himself, but that they don't have a guy really. And that, as you see in the summer months, when you start to lose a couple games in a row, it's really nice to have a Garrett Cole, a Tyler Glasnow, a Kevin Gosman, a Chris Sale, right, to go out there and be like, okay, okay, boys, no pressure. He's going to keep us in the game, have good at-bats, score a couple runs, and we'll probably have a good shot of winning this thing. The Orioles don't have that, and that yeah. offense will hit a cold streak, although they do a really yeah. good job of creating runs. They hit yeah, them with steel bases. Yeah, I'm with you on the Orioles, and I feel bad doing it because I, I feel like we've said this several times of like, oh, just wait. And then they go take two out of three from the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, and it's just like like you're just like, okay, at what point does it not become just wait and see, right? I think the reason why I do I, – I think the Rays are going to win this division. I don't think that's – there's like they are built for this. They're built for the marathon. They're built for that. Where I think the Rays are going to run into some trouble is that, you know, running into a hot team in October, which that's kind of the product that baseball has created, where you could just randomly run into a really good team playing really good baseball. Um, so I think they're going to win the division. But again, I'm with you on the Yankees. Sevy looked sharp. Garrett Cole's going to be okay. Um, I think he's going to not give up the long ball at the absurd rate that he's been doing. Gave up a couple more today. Obviously, you don't want to see that, um, but they won today in, in a game he started and, and he got the win when giving up. You know, one of the things that's impressive about Garrett Cole, and this is kind of a side note, but it's something you had said about aces and what aces are able to do. And it's when you give up five early and then still go six, right? You get clipped a couple times early and you save your bullpen, you save those bullets, and you can go out there and you can take your lumps and still give you a good start. Garrett Cole's been doing that for the last three years. Um, even when he has bad starts, he goes six innings, which is something in its own right to be impressed about. But imagining Carlos Rodon back in that rotation, imagining Frankie Montas back in that rotation, Nestor Cortez's peripherals are going to be much better over the next couple months than it is has been for the first couple months. And even worst case scenario, Nestor Cortez in a playoff series coming out of the pen or vice versa of Frankie Montas in a playoff series coming out of the pen, that's already adding to what is now currently the best bullpen ERA in baseball. 
and adding guys with wicked stuff that can get swing and miss and have done it over extended periods of time. So when you talk about this team, I worry about the lineup. How many times are we going to say it? Volpe's struggling. Volpe's borderline pushing, needing to go to AAA to get some work done. Um, Judge is the guy. Like If Judge gets hot in the playoffs, they could easily run it. Is he going to be that? I don't, you know, I don't know. And, and it's just a weird mix. And, but, you know, they seem to like playing for Boone and, and everything like that. But, you know, and also the Red Sox deserve credit. Alex Cora is one of the when best managers in baseball. Watch. No, he's not using his <laughs> Apple Watch. But man, has a guy consistently, like on a serious note, consistently gotten a lot more out of teams than you think on paper? I mean, I feel like there's been multiple years that he's been in Boston and he's been like, there's a this couple team is guys. not yeah. that good. And they like he always gets a lineup to perform better than they. Justin Turner's been hot recently. Yoshida looks like a you know a legit superstar here, and Chris Sale's back. And do I think they're going to make the playoffs? No, not. I I think they're the worst team in the division as it stands right now. But they got to get some flowers because they're playing really good baseball. They should, and they play in a hitter-friendly park. I don't want to detract on the Red Sox because you're right. They do deserve some flowers. I'll just say that they play in, I think, the most hitter-friendly park in the league um, in Boston, and, and and that's part of why their offense is always tough, especially at home. Yeah. You know, and I don't – I don't. you know, you make a good point about core. I don't put them in there. I mean, when you, when you say who's – if you were to ask me who the manager is that gets the most out of his roster every year, year over year, to me it's Terry Francona. Um, and we can argue about what division they're in. Yeah, oh, yeah. But course, Terry Francona yeah. is unbelievable at that. But, you know, Cora's done a great job there. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I, it's a shame that Adam Duvall got hurt because he was off to such a good start, and that'd be another really good bat for them. The pitching still is kind of a worry for me, and that's why I don't think they're going to be in it for the long the long haul. Um, you know, they had to transition Kluber to the bullpen. We've seen the Nick Pavetta story for seven years now. It's really good stuff that – gets hammered all the time. Yeah. Um, but Chris Sale, Chris Sale's been a bright spot. And there you go. Again, a hot pitcher and, and momentum and anything can happen in baseball. But the Yankee thing is fascinating to me because, again, I, I think they're going to be just like they've been for the last six or so years. And I feel like I'm starting to beat my head against the wall with them. Yes. Like it is yes. the same thing. Like we're relying on one guy. And yeah, if Stanton's healthy, it's like we have Aaron Judge, and yeah. imagine when Stanton gets healthy and when Severino gets healthy and if Volpe can play better and Josh Donaldson gives you something, DJ LeMahieu can stay healthy for more than one month at a time. This team's really good, but it never happens. I don't like yeah, – And don't even get Rizzo. It. And it's like Rizzo too. Rizzo's been great. And he goes out with the concussion yeah, today. Like, yeah. It's just like it's every year. Glaber Torres is the same. What Glaber are we going to get? And is he going to be healthy? And yeah. It's just like it's the same thing for seven years it feels like. Since Aaron Judge debuted six years ago in 2020, or 2017, it feels like this is the same team every single year over and over and over again. And, and like a really good bullpen. That gets overextended because the starting pitching can't carry the water. And then come playoff time, they're gassed. Because they're always hurt. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just like, I don't know when it changes for them. And, and maybe one of these years, and this is the year that it's going to, where the things kind of fall, all the pieces fall into the right place. But it sure feels like you're watching the same movie with the Yankees year over year over year. And they never really have those, you know, the team that can kind of put it all together like the Rays have. Because there's just something about watching the Rays right now. I mean, and people get mad 
But it's just the truth. Like, Isak Paredes today was three for three with four RBIs in the fourth inning of today's game. I mean, Jose Siri's yeah. been scorching hot. Harold Ramirez yeah. is carrying the water. It's, I mean, it's insane. And and I just never feel like I see the Yankees doing that. And what's happening with Volpe? And what's happening with Cabrera and Peraza? Like, I... Right when, oh. I, right when Volpe started turning it around, he's hit another slump. Like he was, he was swinging it well for for the beginning of May, and and you were really hoping that he was going to turn it around and start to be the guy that they need him to be. But he's, I mean, his batting average is sub two hundred, and like he's not a guy. I mean, he he steals bases, so I think he has value. Um, but but, that's a, he, but again, when you're not getting on, what does that bring? Yeah, you that's can't my steal first. You can't, can't steal first, and um, and he's not a. It's not like he's an elite defender. Yeah, he's and, a good and I shortstop, that, but it's not like he's an elite defender to hit one ninety. Yeah, that's where like the mad part of them comes into play. Of like, you've never had that problem with the Dodgers or Astros, no. right? And whether it's in house, whether it's free agent signings, like the Jason Haywards of the world, never regress. And again, I think that has just as much to do with the quote unquote pressure of yeah. New York as it has to like a Joey Gallo shouldn't be flaming out because he has, you know, he can't even show his face in public because of the pressure. Aaron Hicks, obviously he was just old aging, getting booed you know, every time injuries. he stepped on the field. Yeah. Getting yeah, exactly like booing him. And you expect these guys to perform at their peak and, and you don't put them in a position to be mentally in a position to succeed. And, and it's tough for some of those guys. And I mean, we see it across the league right now with guys that are struggling in different ways to, to establish the strike zone and, and going on the IL for anxiety and things like that. But that would never have, that would never fly in New York. And it's sad that it, that it has come to that quite frankly, but I think that's as much to do with it because we're sitting there and we're, we're fighting tooth and nail to figure out what guys can handle New York and what guys can't handle New York and what guys are going to crumble under the oppression. Pressure and do we trade these assets for a guy that we think can handle it versus a guy that can't? And like it just makes Brian Cashman's job that much harder for a guy who I respect a lot because of the decisions he made. Harrison Bader, he's been a great story, but I don't think this is going to stay as as this like stud power hitting no. 480 slug guy. Yeah, he can steal some bases, he plays great defense, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to hit for as much power as he's been. And you know, I do want to fill in on a little bit on the Blue Jays too. Hold on, like hold on. Can I Alec just? I don't Manoa. want to. I don't want to keep piling on real quick. But I, we warned people about the Volpe thing. And remember how maligned yeah. Isaiah Kiner Falefa was last year. Yeah, doesn't look much different, does it? No, doesn't look much a different. A little bit more and, speed. And, and you want to talk about pressure? I mean, New York kid grew up a Yankees fan, and now he's playing there, yeah. and he's not performing. I mean, look, we said. Let this guy get his feet underneath him in the big leagues instead of, you know, every time he hit a single in April, we were throwing a parade because he was the next Derek Jeter. And here we go. It's that it's Memorial Day. And, you know, he looks like he needs to be optioned to AAA. And I'm not happy about that, even though I'm right. I truly am not. Like, that's a shame because you could see it coming from a mile away. And that's what yeah. happens in some of these markets where it's like we're going to like oh we're set because we got Volpe and we're finally bringing him up and he's going to be an all-star. No, just cuz he was a highly rated prospect and highly thought of as a prospect doesn't mean anything when you step on a big league field. It just doesn't. No. 
Mm-mm. Yeah, we can pile on Alec Manoa now. Yeah, I love piling on Alec Manoa. He's definitely one of the guys that I don't mind doing it to. But he's he he might have to go to AAA too. I mean, we're just demoting guys. Maybe <laughs> there we go. MLB Dictator Part Five. <laughs> Who would you demote to AAA to figure their crap out? My vote's Alec Manoa. Can't throw a strike. Teams. He leads he leads the MLB in pitches per inning. He's a guy who talks a big game. He's a guy who said Garrett Cole was the biggest cheater in MLB history, like an idiot, and he he deserves everything that he's gotten up to this point of the booze, the shame, all the stuff like that because he puts it on himself because he's very outspoken, he's very arrogant, and he's telling you're struggling through the year. Adam Frazier goes check swing against Baltimore. You're fi- you thankfully you gave me five innings today. That thanks Schneider he's doesn't have to, to come go get sit you. Down. And he's telling him to go sit down. And Alec Manoa, go have fun in Buffalo for two months in June and July <laughs> when you're trying to figure out how to throw a strike again. Sorry to break it to you, bud, but you're not anything special this year, and you should not be talking like you are. And they need him. They need him to be good. They shouldn't, but they really do. Um, just because the other guys in that rotation, I mean, because Manoa's so brash and arrogant and outspoken, he gets a lot more heat than Jose Barrios. I think we'd be yeah. talking this if Barrios ran his mouth at the rate that Manoa oh does. Gosh, yeah. We would be talking about Barrios right now. <laughs> um, but like, let's check back in because when we did this like a month ago, we talked about how bad his slider was. Do you remember that? Heat map yeah. hasn't changed. The slider's still middle middle. It's now at a eleven run value. Eleven. That's bad. And it's his second most used pitch, Trevor. We don't we're still throwing the thing. It's getting hammered. And we're still yeah, well, just flipping it got. up there middle middle. That's I mean, all he's got. That's what he had last year. And he, I mean, it's got a six twenty seven slug. Six twenty his slider is turning people into all stars. Like if <laughs> a dude six twenty seven slugs, he's an MVP conversation. He's yeah. probably OPS. No, he's winning the MVP. Dot. Right, yeah, and that's Alec Manoa's slider for guys. What yeah. are we doing? And we're still we're still. Hey, you know what? Let's just keep throwing it. You want to talk about why? Like seriously demoting a guy? Like we got to figure out something else. No, they we're should. Keep throwing a slider twenty nine percent of the time. And it's got a six twenty seven slug. He's an auto five runs on the board offense. Figure it out, like automatic. I mean, Bobichet's been great. Vlad Junior's been great. Darton Varsho's turning it around after a slow start. Kevin Kiermaier's been hitting great. Like this team is good, very good. Bobichet's unbelievable. Would you go up there? Let me ask you as a hitter. Would you go up there and just? If he threw three sinkers or fastballs, take your strikeout and walk back to the dugout. I'd go up there and just wait for him to throw the cement mixer to me. Yeah. And go big fly. And back flip it to the moon off that guy. Thank you. Well, I'd watch yeah. that thing. I'd Marcelo Zuno around the bases. I I mean brutal. I don't know what we're doing. He's throwing it thirty percent of the time. It's we're slugging six twenty seven. We're we're a podcast for families, but I just per- pictured the adjective of Marcel zooming it around the bases, and I pictured he was drunk. Just, he was probably drunk and hit yeah. his girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, real no good. Guy, Sorry, Zuna. yeah, exactly. Um, so, any any closing thoughts on the AL East before we take a trip down uh, around the league and and kind of preview some of these series, or at least what which ones we're going to be looking out for. No, no. Good the best division in baseball, I think, uh hands down. Oh, by far. 
by far. Um, so this week ahead, we've got the Padres going to Miami, Florida to take on the Marlins. They're keeping on the East Coast train and they got Sandy Alcantara on Tuesday. So that should be a, a good opportunity for Sandy Alcantara to maybe get right. Um, Texas Rangers are heading to Detroit to take on the Tigers. Cleveland Guardians against the Baltimore Orioles. This is a pretty good one here. The Milwaukee Brewers take on the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto. The Cincinnati Reds head to Boston to take on the Boston Red Sox. Fun one here for for our podcast. The Phillies take on the New York Mets this week. Kansas City Royals take on the St. Louis Cardinals. Tampa Tampa Bay Rays take on the Chicago Cubs. Los Angeles Angels head to Chicago. Like I was talking about our good friend on Twitter who wants to go see Trout and Otani. They're going to be in the south side of Chicago to take on the White Sox. First place twins are taking on the Houston Astros. The Braves get to go get three, two or three gimme wins out west in Oakland with the 10 and 45 Oakland Athletics. The Colorado Rockies head to Arizona to take on the Diamondbacks. Pretty fun series out west here with the Yankees versus the Mariners. That'll be one that'll be for our late night listeners. Pirates take on the the Giants who have been playing really good baseball. And lastly, the Nationals take on the Dodgers. So Dan, obviously there's a couple pretty fun series there. It's kind of a light slate for the midweeks. Which, which ones are you looking out for? Yeah, I'm sorry, but the, the Phillies and Mets doesn't really uh, interest me, unfortunately. Uh, these are two teams who just like, they're, they're not playing up to standard. This should be a fun series realistically, but you got the Phillies who after giving up a seven spot in the first, look like they're going to fall back to three games under five or two games under 500 and the Mets are, are 500. Um, so unfortunately that's just not the series that kind of everyone had hoped it would be. Um, but you know, I, I, it is a, it's a light. I, the tw- let's see if the twins can get it going in Houston. I think it's yeah. fun to watch, watch the, the, the Astros play right now. Um, and and the the Mariners are hot. Don't look now, but the Mariners who were steady yep. three four games under five hundred or three over, they just took care of the Pirates this weekend in Seattle. They got the Yankees coming to town. Um, that'd kind of be one to lock in uh, into. Yeah, that's the that's the one I'm looking forward to is it most is the Yankees versus the Mariners. That'll be that'll be a really good one. But any closing thoughts before we let our listeners get out out of here? No, it's good to be home. Yeah, it's it. I'm sure it's. We're happy to have you. Um, we're gonna have a backside ground balls cookout here and tea time um, for, tomorrow. For our, yeah, for our holiday. Um, so for all our listeners, if you're listening on Monday, happy Memorial Day. Hope you're enjoying your day off. Uh, enjoy your cookouts. Enjoy your burgers. Maybe some grilled chicken. Maybe some pasta salad. Whatever you're into on your on your fine Memorial Day. Uh, enjoy that as you're listening to the pod and telling five friends to subscribe as well. Um, make sure you're subscribing yourself to podcasts on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you can find your podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feeds at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. Most importantly, as I already mentioned, connect to the Bluetooth at your cookout tomorrow. Go open up your Apple podcast, pull up the episode that's going to hit your feed tomorrow morning, and just put everybody on to some Backside Ground Balls podcast uh, that share with five friends and, and help us grow in any way. And until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Don't put mayo in your pasta salad.
We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer. And you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have. And you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today. 